0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sweden in Focus, the locals' weekly review of what's been happening in the news in Sweden. I'm your host, Paul O'Mani, and today we're going to hear from some people who have fled Ukraine, and we're going to talk about recent developments on the war there from a Swedish perspective. We're also going to discuss the spiralling prices of things like electricity, groceries and petrol in Sweden. And finally, we're going to look at the upcoming Swedish election and three issues that matter most to readers of The Local, according to a recent survey. To talk about all this, I'm joined by the locals Becky Waterton, Richard Orange and James Savage. But first I'm going to turn to Richard, who spent some time yesterday outside the Migration Board offices in Malmö, speaking to Ukrainians who have recently arrived in Sweden and who are trying to get registered. Can you tell us a little bit, Richard, about what it was like there? Um, I mean, one thing that was
1: immediately apparent was that the decision um, from this Monday to allow people to apply digitally has really worked because there there were none of the queues that were reported last week um it was mostly people who were who were staying in the center who were taking advantage of the, the temporary accommodation there it was it was quite striking how many were planning on staying in sweden at least in the medium time and maybe for the rest of their lives and um and had sort of chosen sweden as a place that they thought was a country where they would be secure in the long term and where which also had you know good prospects for their children and, and that, that was the reason they'd come here. I spoke to one woman called Svetlana, who was who was here with her with her baby son, and and she had been a, a professional ballet dancer.
2: I I hope I will try to uh, to work with the child and uh, teach teach them to dance. I hope.
1: <laughs> and then I spoke to. Um, a woman called Natalie, who's from uh, Odessa in the, in, the, in the south of Ukraine.
2: We want uh, some uh, house, we want some rooms, and after that we will decide to uh, go back or stay here.
1: And then I spoke to also a volunteer who actually lived in, in, near Malmo in a village called Klogarup, which is, you know, a school in a village, and, and she had been going out on the village Facebook sites going, you know, hey, does anyone have any coats that I can give to Ukrainians? And collecting them in her car and driving up to the migration agency, uh, I think, every day and just distributing more and more coats to anyone she could she could meet. You got a lot of donations, did you, from your neighbours?
0: Yes, a lot. And, and then asking about, do you need more? <laughs> yes, I will get the, the, the... I will come here and see if they want more, so they can get more. James, we just heard from a few of the many Ukrainians who have arrived in Sweden recently. Can you give us an update on um, the situation for them?
3: So, so we're now at about uh, 20,000, according, according to the uh, Swedish Migration Board, um, 20,000 um, Ukrainians have, uh, have registered as having uh, come to Sweden as refugees. Now that figure might still be an underestimate. I think they, they, I think the migration office expects that to be an underestimate. They um, obviously um, know that many people might take a while before they get round to registering properly. The challenge uh, now is for is to find um, somewhere for everybody to stay. I mean, as you pointed out in um, as in, in relation to Richard's report the migration office is, is trying to is, is trying to make as many places available as possible they're doing this up and down the country they have got some experience from uh, from, from the previous uh, migration waves uh, and, and the refugee crisis in 2015 there are also a lot of um, Swedes making their homes available to Ukrainian refugees um, the migration office is Still being quite reluctant is still quite reluctant to to um, facilitate this. Uh, so they are they're, they're not yet uh, making uh, making this in sort of a, an official part of their planning.
0: Have there been any other major developments over the past week from a Swedish perspective? Um, has the NATO debate progressed, for example?
3: Yes, the NATO debate has progressed. Um, I think we've seen it in a in, in a couple of ways. First of all, I think what's most significant has been what the, the moderates, that's the main opposition centre-right party, have said. And they went out last week and said that if they won the election in September, they would uh, apply to join NATO immediately, which is a significant change in policy. they, they They hadn't made it quite such an immediate priority in the past. They've always been in favour of joining NATO, but now they're saying they would would do so immediately. And they would do it without um, the support of the social democrats if necessary, which is a big departure. Um, Previously, there's been a a general consensus that um, you need... Both main parties to be on board in order to join NATO, but they have said that uh, that they that they won't do that. You can certainly see why they might have done this. Joining NATO has become a more popular uh, policy in Sweden. Uh, it's a majority of people now say they support it, and the Social Democrats have moved towards a less anti-NATO position. And this is also very significant. They they have they have now moved towards a position um, where they're saying we don't think the timing is right, but they're no longer really making principled arguments against joining NATO. So, uh, in a sense, the moderates have had to adjust their position as well so that, so that they can distinguish their, their policy um, to a greater extent from, from that of the Social Democrats. And this week, we saw um, both um, Maglin and Ashanti Anderson- and Olaf Kristjánsson make a joint visit to um, a NATO-led operation that Swed that Swedish troops are participating in. Sorry, it's a NATO exercise. Sorry, I should say um, in northern Norway called Operation Cold Response. Um, so the fact that they both went there to this NATO-led exercise um, and held a joint um, uh, press conference there was 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 clearly you know significant and 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 illustrated these moves towards NATO membership.
0: We're recording this podcast on Thursday morning, just as Ukraine's President Zelensky is about to address the Swedish riksdag, the Swedish parliament, and we're sort of fully expecting him to to thank Sweden for the arms and military equipment they've already sent to Ukraine and probably to, to ask for more. Um, James, is Sweden planning to to send any more uh, weapons to Ukraine?
3: Yes, they have announced. Um, uh, they announced on Wednesday that they're going to send a further um, five thousand anti-tank weapons to Ukraine. Um, this is the same anti-tank weapon that they sent. Uh, they sent before, and uh, you know another 5,000 of those. So that is um, uh, that. That's a significant contribution. It's expected that Parliament will approve this unanimously, with support from every single Riksdag party. Last time, the the left party. Didn't support this, and it was a big controversy within the party. But now they, even the left party, which um, you know is historically opposed to this kind of um, this kind of measure, which kind of is, is, is really a, a step a further step away from Swedish neutrality, even they. Are likely to support this. So a, a unanimous parliament supporting sending weapons to an active conflict, which is, you know, if you look at it in the long term, um, you know, it symbolizes a, a complete reversal, really, of decades of Swedish neutral- neutrality doctrine. The only thing that's left of the Swedish neutrality doctrine is that Sweden's technically not a part of NATO. But as we've discussed, you know, it's getting it's getting closer to even to that. So you know, they're spending in this latest donation. It's gonna it's going it's gonna cost them uh, two hundred Five million Swedish it's about 20 million euros, on top of the previous package um, that they sent of, of 400 million krona. So, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 a not insignificant uh, donation, and 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 it's it's pretty clear that Sweden is prepared to send more. These particular weapons, they're very easy to handle. They can be they used within with with only one hour of training, which is why they are sending them. There has been. Um, there have been calls from, from, from Ukraine and from other places for Sweden to send a more sophisticated type of anti-tank weapon called the N-Law. But Sweden says it doesn't have enough of these um, to be able to spare any for Ukraine. It needs them, needs them for itself. There's also a call, um, particularly from the Liberals um, and some others in the in, in the debate, to send um, air, to send an air defense system called the RBS-70, which is made by Saab in Sweden. But um, right now, the military in Sweden is saying that 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 doesn't make sense because it it would take too long for the Ukrainians to learn how to use it. But obviously, you know, that's going to be part of the discussion going forward. What more weapons could Sweden provide to Ukraine?
0: Has the defence minister, uh, Peter Hultqvist, um, spoken about that, uh, about the the probability of uh, sending more weapons later?
3: What I've been reading is from people within the military themselves who have said that they will... Who've said that they expect to be um, supporting uh, Ukraine with further with, with, with further deliveries in the future simply because that they, they see that you know that these weapons that are being sent now are going to get used up and that there will be a need um, in the future and that and that Ukraine is is using weapons um, at a very rapid rate.
0: This show is made possible by members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce independent journalism. And we'd like to thank everybody who supports us through membership. If you're not yet a member, I'd urge you to check out our excellent introductory offer for Sweden and Focus listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Most people living in Sweden will have noticed things have been getting a lot more expensive recently. We asked you in a poll this week if you'd been affected by price increases, and the answer overwhelmingly was yes, with 85% of respondents telling us you were feeling the pinch when doing the groceries, filling a car with petrol, or paying the electricity bills. Richard, you've been looking at this on the local. Can you tell us a bit about these increases? Where are the biggest price rises being seen? A statistic Sweden put out a,
1: um, a breakdown of where the price, the biggest price increases were a couple of weeks ago, and 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 the thing that's that's really soared in price the most was is is actually coffee, which is something I've noticed in in, in my local cafe because for about ten years it was always twenty five kroner uh, a cup, and then and then suddenly it was thirty krona, and now it's thirty four krona, and that's all in the space of about a year. So I, I mean, in Stockholm, it's probably like double that i don't know but um and also quite a lot of vegetables have been the things that have seen the highest increases like tomatoes pears cabbages but this is within supermarkets and and there's also been things that have fallen in price which is leeks, and, and i imagine that might be because of you know how the leek harvest was in sweden last year but I think the thing that's that's been most politically sensitive in Sweden, that's had the most impact on the political debate, has been the price of um, first power, which started rising towards the end of last year, really substantially, and especially in southern Sweden, where we are, people are seeing their bills go up. Uh, I don't know several times, you know, yeah. double or so
2: We're talking thousands. thousands. I mean, there's of people that have paid. 10 20,000.
1: And then there's also obviously the uh, the price of petrol and diesel which according to statistics Sweden is up 36% compared to last year. And that obviously reflects the rise in oil and gas prices in the lead up to the war in Ukraine, but that but those figures don't even reflect what's happened since the invasion of Ukraine when oil and gas prices have shot up even more. So, um I think next month will be the the month where you see a, an even more substantial Impact on on fuel prices.
0: And what's what's the government doing about all this? Is
1: it doing anything to help consumers? Yeah, I mean it's it's an election year, so obviously the government is acting very very relatively rapidly. Um, so they've come out with a whole package of subsidies to help people bear bear these different price increases. Uh, The first thing they came out with was an electricity rebate, which gave as much as 2,000 kroner per person to those hit by high prices, and that would apply in January, February and March. And then I think this week they extended that further up to the summer. And they've also announced a temporary reduction in, in in fuel tax to the lowest level allowable in the European Union, which they say would bring the price down by 1.3 krona a liter which doesn't seem like much and um and they've also brought out a new subsidy which goes to everyone who owns a car everyone who owns a car will get 1000 krona or 1500 krona and on top of that they've also increased housing benefit for families with children by I think up to sort of 1000 nearly 300 krona a month so there's been a whole raft of subsidies that they've rolled out over the last month or so. And obviously, it being an election year for the opposition, none of that is enough. So the opposition has been criticising them for not reducing the tax on fuel even lower and have come up with a whole range of even more... um, There's been a kind of bidding war over subsidies.
2: And lots of criticism for taking high tax and then giving subsidies. Like, you take money from someone with one hand and then you give it to them with the other hand. There's a lot of people criticising them for that, but Mm -hmm. then... Part of the reasoning behind that is because the legal system for changing a tax is a lot more drawn out than the legal system for saying, here's a subsidy.
0: What about people who use public transport and who don't use much electricity? Are they being richly rewarded for their services to society? Um, not not, <laughs> not so mean, much. <laughs> as,
2: as someone who uses public transport and doesn't use much electricity, I haven't noticed anything, any kind of reward. No, I've seen...
0: <laughs> And people sort of bitterly commenting on that, that they feel like they've been doing the right thing for for a long time. And and people who are guzzling, guzzling petrol and living in huge houses, um, that they're the ones getting bailed out.
3: It's worth pointing out in this context that um, whatever subsidies you get from the government for if you if you drive a car every day, and there are lots of people in Sweden who live a long way from um, from, the, from their from that from their, from their jobs. Um, if you live in northern Sweden, you might have very long uh, distances to travel um, between job and home. that um, even with these subsidies, it's still going to cost you. It's you know the, the government can't subsidise away the huge increases in energy prices. Um, all they can do is try and is try and soften the blow. The other way of looking at it is if you live in a city. Can walk to work or bike to work and um, and and live in an apartment with relatively low energy costs. You're not going to be that badly affected by this compared to a lot of other people.
1: I have to say, talking about the being punished for doing the right thing. I mean, we 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 have a, a biogas powered a green car which we use to drive back to our summer house, and, all, and the biogas price, even though it's from organic from you know sewage and stuff, is is based on the gas price. So the price has gone up from 16 kroner a kilogram to 30 kroner. So it's nearly doubled, which is actually a far more painful hit than people driving um, petrol and diesel. So I'm quite upset about that.
0: There are knock-on effects all over the world. I saw uh, a report recently from the war in Yemen, which obviously is already very hard hit and and they were you know struggling to provide enough food for their people and that situation has gotten much worse since the war in Ukraine broke out because that's where you know most of the wheat comes from in, in Yemen and other places around the world.
2: Yeah it's not just affecting Europe it's affecting everywhere
3: And this is clearly why it's very you know why these reports from Swedish farmers that they are being hard hit. Become even more important if a very important provider of food to Europe is involved in a war, as, as Ukraine is. Then our own food production becomes even more important. If our farmers are struggling, then you know, then we have a problem.
0: And how is the situation expected to develop? You've sort of touched on it a little bit, Becky. Has has anybody else got any thoughts on this? Is it going to get much worse before it gets better?
2: It's not going to get better while Ukraine is still being attacked. I I have my own little my own little like growing bed in the uh, in the courtyard and this is the, the time of year when you're planting all of your of all, all of your crops for the next year so i think if we kind of very very quickly say okay well there's a likelihood that we're not going to have enough wheat so we give massive subsidies to farmers we say okay now you need to start planting all of this wheat so we know that we have enough wheat for sweden for the next year But if we kind of wait too long to do that, then you've missed the period where you should be planting it. And then it becomes a bigger crisis. And that's what some of the farmers have been saying. This is when you need to kind of you need to take action now before the seasons move on without us. And we haven't planted at the right time of the year.
3: Yeah, it's also a question of, you know, but even then, you know, to what extent do they have the fertiliser that they need um, in order to be even be able to do that, even if they wanted to, even if the subsidies were there.
2: And then can they afford to harvest? Can they can they afford to run the tractors they need? Like, all of these massive questions. Like, it's a really complicated issue.
0: This podcast is free to listen to, but if you like what you hear and are not yet a member of The Local, please consider joining. By subscribing, you get the latest news from Sweden that impacts you, essential practical information and advice on life in Sweden, and unrestricted access to all editions of The Local. Please check out our membership offer at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer to find out more. Sweden has an election coming up this year as Magdalena Andersson faces her first brush with the voters as Prime Minister. But will the Social Democrats muster enough support to secure a third consecutive term? Or will Ulf Kristersson lead the Swedish right back to power? With all of this in the offing, you, Richard, asked readers on The Local to let you know what issues they cared most about. Can you tell us what the, the three most important issues were? I mean, I was I was very surprised in a time when there's, you know, an invasion in Ukraine.
1: We've had years and years of talk about law of crime issues and gang, gang crime uh, have been dominating the Swedish newspapers and international newspapers. I was very surprised that the foreigners who, who came back to us, uh, which I should add, it wasn't a representative. It was a self-selecting survey. But those who responded for them, it was the real bread and butter issues, healthcare. Education, well, and, and immigration, uh, perhaps, but it was healthcare and education came top. And I suppose the, the focus on healthcare might reflect that we've just come out of the pandemic and, and the shortcomings in the Swedish health system that that uh, threw up. But but actually, in in their answers the reason that most people gave is just that it takes a very long time to access primary healthcare in sweden if you look at the statistics the swedish healthcare system is actually pretty good when it comes if you have a heart attack you know it's a good yeah. place to be but what they were most frustrated by was how hard it was to get an appointment with your local gp and how long that took and how long it was to then get treatment if you had something wrong with you. And
2: this has become a bigger issue under COVID as well with queue times getting longer and longer. I think this is another thing that people have been complaining about. It's harder to get that kind of first appointment. And I've seen this in expert groups as well that I'm a member of that people have been saying, okay, well, I've got this issue. I've been told that I have to wait for four months. What can I do? I I don't want to be waiting here in pain or with this problem. So I think it's definitely something people are, are affected by. I think another issue with healthcare is that there've been kind of two big kind of crises almost in the, in the news recently. There's been a problem with there's not enough midwives. There's been protests because midwives um, there's not enough people training to become midwives, and there's also the midwives that are working. Um, are complaining of bad work conditions. They're being forced to work long hours. They they have to kind of they have to work they have to treat a lot of patients at the same time, they don't have enough staff to kind of take over the load. So I think that's one big issue. Um, and then also the same with nurses. And you can kind of, I had a look at what the parties were saying about um, about healthcare. And a lot of them had specifically addressed nurses and were thinking, of, okay, how are we going to make it more attractive to become a nurse? How are we going to make sure the nurses train and then stay in the role? Because this is a problem that Sweden's been having. And also other countries, like especially midwives, there's been protests in Denmark recently. There's been protests in the UK recently. Like this is not the only country which has been having this issue but it doesn't mean it's not an issue
0: and, and so the other two top issues for our readers were education and immigration if we if we talk about education first Becky what are the main challenges Sweden faces there
2: um, I think it, also that's been in the news as well recently which is maybe another issue why another reason why people have been naming it as an issue There's just been this whole question of free schools which is kind of a big divide in the Swedish political parties. Some of them are pro-free schools because it it means that you can kind of offer a different kind of education. You can kind of have a little bit more control over what you want to teach students. And then others are saying that it's an unfair system. You have these kind of queuing systems, which means that it's not always clear who's allowed into a school. And then you've got the whole question of IES, the International English School, which uh, Richard's been talking about a lot as well, like a few kind of... Iffy questions about market schools, like these schools that exist, some some politicians are arguing arguing exist just to kind of make money. They don't exist to provide a good education for students and they kind of mistreat their teachers. Yeah, bad working environment, that kind of stuff. So I think that might be another reason why this has been named as an important issue, because that's also had a lot of coverage in the news recently. And then immigration, I think... As immigrants, obviously, we think a lot about immigration.
1: When we asked them why they thought it was important, as you would expect, they, they were very much split. There was yeah. a lot of people saying that that, that there needed to be um, that, that that there needed to be reforms on work permits to make it easier to move to Sweden. Yeah. But but also perhaps stricter immigration policies on. Um, refugees. Yeah and
2: a lot of people are talking about these um, this reform for doctoral students which means that it's harder for people that have just done a PhD in Sweden to stay in Sweden Mm. and obviously if you've been in Sweden for maybe five years doing a PhD you've kind of made your life here and then you suddenly found out that oh okay well I can only stay in Sweden if I get a job straight away like before you finish your PhD then that kind of makes people feel unwelcome. So yeah it's kind of a, a much wider issue than just immigration it's it's like it should it should be easier for this kind of people it should be integration and immigration. It should be less of this kind of person and more of that kind of person. So it's, it's very split.
0: One uh, story the local has covered a lot in recent years is talent deportations, uh, people who've been asked to leave the country because of sort of minor errors in their paperwork. Has that situation got any better?
3: No, um, There are there, there is legislation in the works uh, to, uh, to to try and solve this issue, and you know, m- multiple times the government has has kind of said that it's it thought that by making a few re- a few kind of minor sort of tweaks to the regulations that it, that it had sort of solved the issues, sort of, and 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 said that you know that, that that now they wouldn't be deporting people just for making minor problems. That, 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 that the migration agency would would look at the whole picture for for individuals, and just because you haven't paid an insurance, you wouldn't be thrown out of the country it's still happening. As of today, it is still happening.
1: And there's a yeah there's a new bill which I think I think it has to go before Parliament by the end of April, but there's no set date for when it's going to go before Parliament. But um, that includes a a line where it says that people shouldn't be deported for you know minor administrative failings by their employer. But but what migration the migration agency said in its response was that this is very vague and how do we know. At, at, uh, they criticised it for its vagueness, and and I think that I'm, I think that it remains to be seen whether it will uh, whether it will help very much because it doesn't specify, it, it doesn't really go into any detail as to what counts as a minor slip and, and what counts as a serious one. So I, I I'm not I think it's open to see whether the legislation will will help.
0: Maybe the answer to this is is obvious, but do you think that this issue has damaged Sweden's reputation among the kind of people Sweden needs to attract?
2: I think definitely the PhD issue has. I think this may people might be reconsidering doing a PhD in Sweden if they know that they could dedicate five years to their life, have a job, pay taxes, and then not be allowed to stay afterwards.
3: I think also the 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 issue of people being deported for minor administrative errors has had an effect. I mean, I've, over the it's been happening for many years and. I've had multiple conversations with people over the years where they have um, said that they have chosen other countries over Sweden because they didn't. Um, They weren't they weren't confident that the Swedish immigration system would give them the stability they needed.
2: Also, like some of these people, some of these people speak Swedish, are married to Swedes, have kids that are Swedish. And like, obviously, that doesn't mean that they're like, just because you speak the language doesn't necessarily mean that you have more of a right to stay in the country. But that you can never you can't argue that they haven't tried to become integrated like these are people who their entire life is in Sweden and they just get sent home. And it's like, well, OK, I have a job there. I have family there. I have friends there. My kids are there. My, my husband's there. Like, what am I supposed to do now?
0: Why is Sweden doing this? Is it is it a feature or a bug? I mean, if
1: you listen to Magdalena Anderson's speeches that she's made as she came in as as the new leader of the Social Democrats, she has made tightening up work permits um one of her sort of main campaigning issues so and and that's mainly aimed at people sort of less skilled workers but but still i think that i think that the social democrat party does not see this as a serious issue to the extent that the center party or the moderates do and that they, they would rather everybody who comes into sweden has to be held to the very strict Standards of the Swedish labour market, and that they're they're very suspicious of anything they see might undermine that.
3: Yeah. There are many, many cases of people um, being. As far as they are aware, properly insured by their employers, as, well, as 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 and as far as their employers are aware that these the employers think they bought the right insurances, it turns out that the insurance they bought was technically not the right kind of insurance, and it's kind of kind of quite a complicated issue, a big issue, particularly for for small employers who don't who don't do this every day.
2: Yeah. Or maybe don't have a team of lawyers that look through everything before they sign off,
3: yeah. And then they think they've done the right thing, and, the, and the, but the migration agency is like, no, you've done the wrong thing and we're not going to give you any leeway and we're going to deport this person.
2: Or the migration agency say the migration agency approves something and then two years later say oh no this was wrong and now we're going to deport you because you did something wrong two years ago Precisely despite the fact like that we said it was right
1: we have a case that we're going to publish we're hoping to publish uh, this week of an australian who i think is a friend of yours uh, and she 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 had her insurance approved by medical quinn's work at the first time and then when she went to renew it the new case officer looked at it and said well actually this is supposed to be for an executive and not for you, you're employed for a normal worker and you're supposed to have an executive insurance insurance. And the absurd thing is, is that most insurance companies don't even make that distinction. So the new insurance she got just it's just a, a flat insurance. So uh, it's just it, it's 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 can be
3: quite absurd and yeah. com- how it works. And what, what I find very, yeah, and what I find very hard to understand is why, and after many years, I still don't really understand why the migration office can't say, look, you've, 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 you've tried to follow the rules, you've, you've bought insurances, technically, this is the wrong insurance next time buy a new insurance but we'll overlook it this time because it's only a you know you're obviously not trying to exploit people it's not a it's, it's not a, it's not a serious error so we're not going to take a we're not going to take a draconian measure in response to a, a minor error it, it, it's beyond me
1: what what astonishes me on the work permit issue is that it's been an issue for, it must be, when did it first come? When did it first become, when did Competency increasing?
3: 2015? 2015-ish, yeah, something like that. It's a long time.
1: Ex- I, 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 and ever since the government has said that they're going to act on it and they're going to try and make it, uh, trying to solve it. And then the Migration Agency continues to make these decisions.
3: It feels that over the last few years there's been a, a culture where in Sweden we've said that we want less immigration. After the 20, after the 2015 um, you know, refugee crisis and there was the backlash and the backlash against against that, there's been a, there's been a culture of like we want we want we want to tighten up on immigration, and this kind of immigration, even though it might not be the kind of immigration that uh, that, that 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 many of the sort of anti-immigrant Parties are really focused on. It's an easy kind of immigration to tighten up on, and if we're going to be, if we're going to, be, if we're going to clamp down on all immigration, this is an easy part to clamp down on. So we're not going to give, a, you know, even the tiniest bit of flexibility to this because we don't, we're not flexible. Rules is rules.
2: I think as well, you can see it, like you say, you can see it in in the Sweden Democrats. Like all the other parties were kind of ignoring immigration, and Sweden Democrats come in, and as soon as the Sweden Democrats started getting more power, the other parties were like okay, we'll be hard on immigration, we'll do this, we'll do this, stop voting for them, vote for us again, look, we're hard on immigration as well. So it's like you said, it's all part of this kind of Sweden Democrat rise and the shift against immigration.
0: If you've been enjoying the show and are not yet a member, please consider supporting The Local's independent journalism by heading over to thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer, where a subscription costs just 10 kroner for the first month. We've just about reached the end of this week's show. Thank you to Becky Waterton, James Savage and Richard Orange. And thank you for listening to Sweden in Focus. Until next time, take care.